Well, good morning, One Church. What's up? My name is Carlo. I get to be one of the teaching pastors here. I'm glad that you are with us today. As Pastor Chris mentioned, we're kicking off a brand new Christmas series called Great Links, and I'm excited about where we're going to go through the next couple of weeks and just unpacking this story that we've heard uh, multiple times, many of us. There's nothing more beautiful than a star-filled night sky to me. Have you ever driven out to the country, just looked up and seen so many stars, you you, you couldn't even, it just kind of makes your head spin how many stars are out there. I grew up in a city environment, and so for us to see stars, we had to drive way, way far away because, you know, the haze, the light of the, the city lights would usually drown out those stars. And I'll never forget when I lived in the Mojave Desert for about three years, um, I could just walk out on my back porch and look up at those mountains, look up at the stars, and there would just be so many. And I never uh, felt so small as I did when I would stand out there, stare up at the sky, looking at all those stars. It felt like I was in a planetarium. You ever been to a planetarium before? Felt like I was in the real thing. Well, I was in the real thing, looking up at the stars as far as you could see stars everywhere. And when I look up at the stars like that and find myself in that sense of feeling small, to be honest with you, I really felt helpless standing underneath just the majesty of millions and millions of stars. It makes me feel very, very small. According to modest estimates, there's about 100 billion visible stars, 100 billion observable stars that we can look at. Each of those stars is powerful and potentially life-giving in their own right. And yet, for all of their power and their might and their heat and their light, the only thing comparable to the majesty and power of a star is its converse, which is the darkness. If, if you don't believe that darkness is a force to be reckoned with, try navigating that minefield of Legos and Hot Wheel cars at night, right? You know what I'm talking about? Many a great warrior has been brought to their knees by stubbing their pinky toe on that coffee table at, in the dark, right? Don't tell me that darkness is not a powerful, powerful force. Darkness is cold. Darkness can be uninviting. Darkness can be dangerous. Darkness makes us feel alone. It is the absence of light. According to NASA, uh, a black hole is a place in space where gravity pulls so much that even light cannot get out of it. The gravity is so strong because the matter's been squeezed into this tiny place that uh, light can't even escape from there. And then usually they say this happens when a star is dying. And, and these black holes, they can be as small as an atom, or they can be, as in the case of the supermassive black hole, they can be large enough to contain 100 million stars inside one black hole. That's uh, about 100 million, a million of our suns, for those of you who are not uh, mathematically counting to what I'm saying. Take our sun times a million and stick it in one black hole. Because no light can get out of them, you, we can't even see them with our eyes. You need a special kind of telescope to see something that is so powerful, it makes light basically impossible. Can you imagine a darkness so powerful that it sucks out even the possibility of light? Maybe this time of year, Christmas time is painful for you because it only reminds you of darkness. It reminds you of the loved one who's not here with you anymore. Maybe you're here and you know what it's like to fight that black dog of, of depression. Just getting out of bed is a chore. Just getting up and going is a, is a big deal, a big issue for you. Seasonal affective disorder is a real thing. This time of the year can bum out 
a lot of us. And let me just tell you, if you're here and you're, you're fighting with depression or anxiety or anything like that, you are welcome. We love you. You're in the absolute right place to be because, one, we know that we can come to Jesus just as we are. And, two, we believe that there are no quick, cliche fixes to the deep problems of life. But we do believe that there is this big God who walks alongside us and helps us and he heals us. So we're glad that you're here. Regardless of where you're at, I'm glad that you showed us. Now, all of us, regardless of what we're struggling with, we have dealt with this idea, this concept of being hopeless or helpless in the dark. None of us has built-in night vision goggles, right? Some of you might be blind as a bat, but you don't have the sonar to go with it, right? You know what I'm talking about? You might have the glasses issues and you can't really see, but you don't have the sonar like a bat to, to navigate in the darkness. So all of us need a little bit of help when we're in the dark. We can't navigate through the physical dark on the own. Another thing we have in common is most of us spend a good chunk of our lives trying to solve the problem of literal darkness, right? We talked about this last week in our All About the Benjamin series about money. You work at a job to pay your bills, and some of the most important bills you pay are to help you keep the lights turned on and the heat turned on, right? Are you thankful for your heat working today? I hope yours worked, right? So most of us work to basically deal with the problem of the literal dark. But there's another darkness that's much worse than the absence of physical light. It's an absence of spiritual light. It's the absence of God. It's hopelessness. And since the very beginning of time, human beings have been clawing in the dark, trying to get to the light, trying to figure things out for themselves. This is not a new phenomenon. In fact, we're going to look this morning at a very ancient text that'll show us just how this problem came to a head and how, more importantly, this problem was solved by God. So this morning, we're going to look in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, in a book called Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. Now, it's a very important book, Isaiah is. First, it was a major book of prophecy for the Israelite people, for the Hebrew people. This was a very, very important ancient text for them. The Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, are important to those of us who are Christ followers because through the Hebrew scriptures, we actually get insight into the worldview and into the mindset and customs and cultures of the authors of the New Testament. We get an understanding of their background and how they viewed things. More than that, in the book of Isaiah, uh, that book is actually quoted about 55 times in the New Testament. So 55 times one of the New Testament authors referenced this ancient book, Isaiah. Another thing, Isaiah, as he's writing this prophecy to, to the nation of Israel there, they were blinded by their uh, uh, adultery following after false gods. They were, they were blinded by that. And in the passage we're going to read, he's warning them about some judgment that is getting ready to come their way. They're about to be overrun by an enemy nation, the Assyrians. They're about to see this wrath of God come upon them. They were a people in great, great darkness and great, great hopelessness. So let's check out what Isaiah says to them. In Isaiah chapter 8, verse 6, I'm going to start reading. Here's what he says. My care for the people of Judah is like the gently flowing waters of Shiloah, but they have rejected it. So this is Isaiah the prophet writing down God's words. So this is actually God speaking through Isaiah the prophet to these people. My care for the people of Judah is like the gently flowing waters of Shiloah, but they have what? Rejected it. They are rejoicing over what will happen to King Rezin and King Pekah. So basically, some other bad kings, bad things are happening to them. And so Israel's like, ha ha, you're about to get yours. So this is God calling them out on that. Verse seven, therefore, the Lord will overwhelm them with a mighty flood from the Euphrates River, the king of Assyria and all his glory. 
The flood will overflow all its channels and sweep into Judah until it is chin deep. It will spread its wings, submerging your land from one end to the other, O Emmanuel. Verse 9, huddle together, you nations, and be terrified. Listen, all you distant lands. Prepare for battle, but you will be crushed. Yes, prepare for battle, but you will be crushed. Call your councils of war, but they will be worthless. Develop your strategies, but they will not succeed. Isn't that an encouraging verse this morning? Y'all came to get excited by the Bible. How encouraged? What is he talking about? So again, this is God telling you, you guys are celebrating the downfall of other people. You don't realize how messed up you are. You don't realize the direction you're headed in. And so this is God almost like tongue-in-cheek daring them. Go ahead, prepare. You're still going to lose. Go ahead, make your plans. They're not going to work. This is God saying, I'm about to layeth the smacketh down on your... Y'all should know the rest of that. This is what God's getting ready to tell them. Things are about to go from bad to worse, zero to 100 real quick. And it's your fault. If you're here and you're new to this church stuff, you're like, what in the world is this dude talking about? Hang with me. Trust me. This is going to make sense when we land the plane going through Isaiah. But we got to start here because these people, they disobeyed God's commands so many times. And, and God had shown them the way to walk. And they walked away from God so many times. They'd gotten it wrong. They'd blown it, trying to figure things out on their own. And so God finally had enough. And he's going to deal with them because of that. They were a people in the dark who tried to be their own light. They were people hopeless and helpless in the dark, and they tried to figure it out on their own. And worse, they tried to take the cues of other nations, other people around them. So instead of doing things God's way, they did what everyone else was doing. How many of y'all have a 12-year-old that does that same thing, right? Instead of doing things the, the way you're trying to teach them, they're going to do what everyone else is doing, and that's what Israel's doing. In fact, here's what God, how God warns Isaiah about this problem. Verse 11 of chapter 8, he says, The Lord has given me a strong warning to not think like everyone else does. He said, Don't call everything a conspiracy like they do. Man, some of y'all need to apply that to your social media life real quick. I'm just saying. Verse 12, Don't call everything a conspiracy like they do, and don't live in dread of what frightens them. Make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life. He's the one you should fear. He's the one who should make you tremble. He will keep you safe. So these people are in darkness. And they're freaking out. And instead of going to the one who would help them, who could make them safe, they're following everyone else down this path of dread, down this path of worry. Sometimes when we're stuck in the dark, it seems like there's no way out. Some of us have been waiting for help and for hope for so long in our current situation. We've stopped believing that help is even possible. Have you been there? When surrounded by darkness, you have to remember that the light exists. When you're surrounded by darkness, you have to remember that light actually exists. There is a better day. It's not always going to be terrible. It's not always going to be doom and gloom. When surrounded by the darkness, remember there is always hope because there's always light. Here's what God says to Isaiah, verse 19. Someone may say to you, let's ask the mediums and those who consult the spirits of the dead with their whisperings and mutterings. They will tell us what to do. But shouldn't people ask God for guidance? Should the living seek guidance from the dead? Look to God's instructions and teachings. People who contradict his word are completely in the dark. 
they will go from one place to another weary and hungry. And because they are hungry, they will rage and curse their king and their God. They will look up to heaven and down at the earth, but wherever they look, they will be in trouble and anguish and dark despair. They will be thrown out into darkness. This is harsh, right? This is tough stuff for us to hear. But again, this is God talking to people that he's worked with and loved and poured into so much. And it's almost like God scratching his head like, why would you not listen to me? Why do you keep doing things your own way? Some of you are in the dark in your life and you're clawing at the walls and you're in agony. And I think God's telling you, why don't you just try to do it once my way? Why do you keep looking other places to get out of your mess, to get out of your junk, to find joy, to find peace? Why don't you just try doing it my way? Instead of trying doing it God's way, they went to another extreme and they actually went towards more death. So when we're surrounded by darkness, something we need to remember is don't embrace more darkness. Did you catch what he said? Why would you go to the dead for answers? Why are you going to the mediums and these people counseling spirits? Why, why are you going to everyone else but me. When you're surrounded by darkness, don't embrace more darkness. I've shared this before. You know, some people, when they're, they've been in the dark for so long, they really don't know how to act when the lights come on. So when they're actually exposed to health and life and light, they don't know what to do. You, you know, when you're rescuing hostages, it's been said that sometimes just making sure that hostage is secure is just as important as eliminating the enemy because people might be held captive for so long, they'll actually fight against the people who are there to save them. If you've ever been a lifeguard, you've experienced that situation, right? You swear out to save someone and they're losing their mind. They're going to take both of you out. Sometimes you got to secure them. People who have been in intense stress, sometimes they respond to health that way. But others, well, I think they just like being in the dark. I think some people just prefer the darkness. In the darkness, I can hide. In the darkness, no one can call me out on my mess. In the darkness, as long as I have someone else's life that's more jacked up than mine, I'll never have to deal with my stuff. So let me go find some more darkness to, to run to with my problems instead of running towards the lack. Some people act like they like living in pain and in drama and in struggle and all that stuff. Do you know who likes to live in the dark? Roaches and rats. Roaches and rats, they love the dark. They absolutely do. Now, some of y'all might be about that new fancy life. Where I come from, we dealt with roaches. You turn on the lights, and they are gone. They don't want anything to do with the light. I think that it's safe to say God has called you and I to live a higher life than a roach or a rat. I think that's safe to say that the will of God for your life is for you to not live like a roach or a rat. So when you're surrounded by hopelessness, when you're in need of help, don't embrace more darkness. Why would you do that? Up to this point, you're looking at Isaiah 8, and you're like, this is the most depressing passage of Scripture I've heard in my life. This is crazy. What if I told you that it doesn't end in the dark? Is that okay? It doesn't end in the darkness. Let's turn the page into chapter 9 now of, of Isaiah and see what he says, how he continues this story. Verse 1 of chapter 9, Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali, this is a region of Israel, will be humbled, 
But there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, is another name for Israel, which lies along the great road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. So did you catch what he says in verse 1? Nevertheless, the darkness and despair won't go on forever. Eventually, where you are is going to be filled with glory. Verse 2, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. See, we can't manufacture our own light. We can't manufacture our own spiritual light. As much as we may try, as much as we may try to figure it all out on our own and do our own thing, we can't make it on our own. We need help. We need hope. We can't get out of spiritual darkness by embracing more darkness. We're hopeless hanging out in the dark. The solution and it's our big idea, is this. Hope and help are found when we follow the light. That's how we find hope and help. Go towards the light. Move towards the light, right? Follow the light. Well, who is the light? Man, that sounds kind of super spiritual, and that sounds all good. What are you talking about? I'm glad you asked. Because in the next verse, Isaiah, this ancient text, he absolutely drops a bomb that would have repercussions for the rest of humanity. And the next verse changes everything for us. So remember, he said, it's not going to last forever. The darkness is not going to last forever. The people who are in deep darkness, eventually a light is going to shine. The place that was full of despair is eventually going to be full of hope. And here's how. Verse 6, for a child is born to us. A son is given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Have you heard that? For to us, to me, to you, a child has been born. The government's going to rest on his shoulders, meaning all authority in heaven and earth is going to be given to him, and he's going to be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. Buried in this ancient book that 20 minutes ago you thought was just the most depressing verses Bible ever, right? Buried in this obscure story about God judging Israel is the plan to save humanity from the futility of religion and rule keeping. Buried in this ancient book, right here in the ninth chapter of this most sacred text, is God's promise of hope and help, and a sneak peek at how he's actually going to do it. Now, in its immediate context, Isaiah is referring to God's promise to bring Israel back from exile. The Assyrians are going to come, take them over, take them in exile for, for a couple decades, then God's promising to bring them back. But it's so much more than just that. Isaiah took over 53 years to write this book to unpack one real concept, and that is the concept of salvation. Even his name means salvation is from the Lord. The word salvation appears 26 times in the book of Isaiah, and it appears seven times in all the other prophetic books combined. So you could say Isaiah really was about that salvation. It's really what he wanted to talk about. His message is clear. Salvation from hopelessness will come one day when the Messiah, Jesus, comes. In fact, here's what's amazing. There's 34 prophecies in Isaiah that were fulfilled in the life of Jesus. 
So you can read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Gospels, read the story of Jesus, and there are 34 very specific things that Jesus said or did that years before Isaiah wrote down and said, the Messiah is going to do this or be this and say this. Pretty amazing. 700 years before Jesus was born, God promised hope in the darkness through that passage of Scripture that we just read. He promised help. He promised the light. So hope and help are found when we follow the light, and Jesus is the light. Can I just ask you today, stop trying to do things without Jesus. It's an old formula that I heard years ago that I just love saying. Uh, I don't know where it came from, so I'm just going to say I made it up. Is that cool? Yes. So it's, I didn't make it up, seriously. It's a, it's, a, it's a powerful formula, though. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Meaning if I have the light, if I have Jesus, there really is nothing else that I need. The psalmist David, he wrote about that as he was talking about the Lord being his shepherd. And in his opening line, he said, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I have no need. Everything else in the 23rd Psalm is just details. But what it all comes down to is I have the Lord. Walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't fear evil. Why? Because the Lord's with me. And his rod, his staff, that's what strengthens me. That's what comforts me. I'm provided for because of him. Many of you struggle in your lives because you're trying to figure it out on your own. I'm just going to be old school Christian for five seconds, okay? You're trying to struggle and do it on your own. Here's what they taught me growing up in church. You ready? Stop. Any of y'all go to a stop it church if you came up in church? I came, I came from a stop it church. Sometimes, stop it but this hurts. Stop doing that thing, and guess what? It won't hurt. But like the kid touching the stove, throwing the football in the house when we know it's going to break something, we know it's going to break something. Oops, it broke something. Some of us, our, our thought life and the patterns of our, of our mind are to do the opposite of what God has said. We run to everyone else instead of him. We go to everywhere else except his truth. We run away from his people when things get hard. And I just think, man, this ancient text is so powerful to us. Don't embrace more darkness when you need help. Run towards the light, and Jesus is the light. So how does Jesus give us help? How does he give us hope? Let's unpack who Jesus is for us. He said he's our wonderful counselor, wonderful counselor. That Hebrew word used there is only used in the, in the Old Testament in reference to the work of God. This is God's miraculous, supernatural wonder. You ever uh, experienced the power of the barracks lawyer, soldiers in the room? Y'all know the barracks lawyer, right? This is the person who's just like you, who has the same or, as, or less education than you, but somehow they've been gifted from above with the knowledge of everything. Y'all know the person? They think they know everything about everything, and they stand on their soapbox, and they pontificate about why you should do this and not do that, because here's what will happen. And the problem is, we listen to those fools. Many of, y'all, many of you didn't serve, so you're not familiar with the barracks lawyer, but I promise you, if you're on Facebook, you have thousands of barracks lawyers telling you what truth is all the time. They have no stinking idea what they're talking about. They're passionate and uninformed at the same time. And we say, that sounds right. I'm going to do it. 
well, that's good. Let me hit share. We don't even know if it's true. And we follow after. I'm sorry, I'm getting in y'all's business, but none of y'all can beat me up anyway, so I'm just going to keep getting in your business. I'm just, he's a wonderful counselor. He's a wonderful counselor. Have you ever received horrible advice? Say yes, I know you have. Because I know I have. Horrible advice. How'd that work out for you, following that horrible advice? Terrible. I got people on my list. Now, the Bible says you shouldn't keep a record of wrongs, but I'm not as saved as some of y'all. So, I mean, I got some folks I want to talk to who gave me some advice. Horrible advice. Jesus is our help because here's one thing he'll never do. He'll never lead you astray. He'll never lead you astray. He'll never tell you to do something that is not going to be good for you. Who knows what's best for you more than the wonderful counselor? He's the embodiment of wise counselor, not just for the deep things of life, but for everyday living. Someone made millions of dollars back in the 90s by selling you some rope around your wrist that just said, what would Jesus do? Pretty simple concept that's powerful. Has a lot of contextual issues. I mean, Jesus didn't shop at the gap, so why would you ask what Jesus would do there? But the point is, the principle is true. He's the wonderful counselor. That's how he'll give you hope and help. Turn to him and do what he's saying to do. Man, this person's causing problems in my life. I can't stand them. What did Jesus say to do when people get on our nerves? I think he said, pray for them, bless them, love them, embrace them. I think that's what he said. Wonderful counsel. He's also mighty God. He's also mighty God. Now, I don't have time to unpack this concept because we're dealing with some theological stuff here that if you're new to church, new to Christianity, you're like, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three gods, one, what are you talking about? It can get a little confusing, and I apologize for that. Come see me. We'll talk. We'll set up a time, and we can, we can unpack it all we want to. But here's what we need to know. There is one God existent in these three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's what we believe at OneChurch.tv. And in this passage, Isaiah says, this Savior who's coming to save us, he is mighty God. So how is Jesus mighty God? Well, let's look at the the Christmas story in Matthew chapter 1. Here's an angel talking, and here's what he says in this prophecy that's given about Mary and Jesus. says this in verse 21 of Matthew chapter 1 in the New Testament. And she, this is Mary, she will have a son, and you are to name him what? For he will save his people from their sins. All this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look. The virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means what? God is with us. So in the early Christmas story, we're hearing about who Jesus is. He is God with us. That, that name Emmanuel represents both God and man in this one person, Jesus Christ. So he's mighty God. What does that have to do with Jesus giving us help? Well, in John 14, 6, Jesus says that no one can access the Father through him. So the mighty God helps us because we get access to the creator of heaven and earth because of Jesus. You with me? Now, it's going to get even more confusing because then Isaiah says, oh, by the way, he's everlasting father. I thought Jesus was the son. Y'all trying to, this is a trick question. This is a trick quiz. Isaiah said he's everlasting father. Earthly fathers are not perfect. Is that okay to say? We make mistakes. We mess up. Sadly, some earthly fathers abandon their, their kids when they need them the most. I wish that wasn't the case in today's culture, but it often is. However, what I do know is true. I've heard this from, from a man named Mark Batterson for years. He says, don't let what's wrong with your earthly father keep you from focusing on what's right with your heavenly father. 
So Jesus helps us because in Jesus we see the fullness of the Father's love for us. In fact, as you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, when you read, hear Jesus talking about the Father, he time and time and time again says, if you want to see God, look to me. Look at my life, my ways, because your little pea, this is, Jesus didn't say this, but it's how I interpret it. Your little pea brain can't comprehend God the Father. So we can see God the Father through seeing Jesus. Make sense? Here's what Jesus even said in John 10, verse 30. The Father and I are one. Many times they asked Jesus, show us the Father. And he said, didn't you just see me heal that blind guy? Didn't you just see me turn a couple sandwiches into this feast? Didn't you just see me walk on water? Don't Listen to what I'm telling you. If you see me, you've seen the Father. Trust me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Our Father and I are one. He's everlasting Father. What does that have to do with Jesus helping us? What does that have to do with hope? It all connects into this last thing that Jesus does for us, that Jesus is for us, and that is he is the Prince of peace. Peace. It's really the thing that we long for the most as human beings. The settled place in our spirit where it is well, where all is good, where I'm not afraid, where I'm not stressed out, where there's no war going inside of me as I try to figure it out on my own, where I'm not warring with other human beings. I'm in this state of rest and peace. It's one of the greatest promises that we get from God, this idea of peace. Through Jesus, we have peace, not just with God, but in all areas of life. All through the Gospels, we see Jesus healing sick bodies, casting out demons, even telling storms to shut up, and they do. He brings peace to individuals. Jesus brings peace to our homes. He even brings peace to nature itself. And when all is said and done, he'll even bring peace once and for all to this crazy world. That's the promises that we see through his words if you're here today and you've not yet taken a step towards following Jesus, please know I think the most important thing you can do to get hope and help in the darkness is to take the simple step of accepting the free gift of peace that Jesus brings to us. Peace between God, peace between us. So what do we do with this? It's a lot of information. When we feel surrounded by darkness, when you feel hopeless, I think there's three things we can do to live out the truth of this passage in Isaiah. You ready? First thing is to deny the lie. Deny the lie. What is the lie? The lie is that the darkness will last forever. How many of you, if you're honest, you struggle with something and you've just resigned yourself to, this is who I am and I'm gonna be dealing with this forever? You need to deny the lie. Jesus didn't come to make your life comfortable. He came to give you new life. He came to set you free. It's for freedom. He came to set you free not for you to stay enslaved to the same habits, the same thought patterns, the same thing that keeps dragging you to the dark place. So when that darkness overwhelms you, when you can't see the light in your situation, and we all have our own bag of junk that we brought here today, when you can't see the light in your own situation, deny the lie that you're going to be dealing with that struggle forever. This week, you need to write out those lies and counter those lies with the truth. I feel like I'm always going to be hopeless, but God says hopeless is, is not going to last forever. I feel like this sorrow will never end, but God said that weeping may endure for a night, but joy is going to come in the morning. Deny the lie. Second thing you need to do, and this seems very practical, is to turn on the light. You're feeling hopeless. You're feeling in a dark place. Literally speak God's light into your life. Subscribe to those worship playlists that we post on our Facebook page. 
I just hate going to work. It's so stressful. It's such a dark and evil place. I don't know how I'm going to make it. But you listened to Cardi B the whole time you drove. I mean, you listened to trap music the whole 20 minutes that you were driving to work. And you wonder why you don't have any peace in your soul. You wonder why your minds aren't... Look, I'm not saying don't enjoy some trap music. I'm just saying, why would you embrace the darkness when you need help, when you need hope? You're going through a relational breakup. Stop watching The Notebook. Stop watching Love Actually. Don't go watch the stuff that's going to make you cry even more. It's not good for your soul. Turn on the light in your situation. Enjoy those movies on a different situation. You get what I'm saying? You're stressed out and worried about how you're going to pay your bills. Turn off the talk news radio. Turn off CNN. Turn off Fox News. Don't watch that garbage and think it's going to bring you light to your soul. Not when you're stressed out. Not when you're in the dark. You can't do that. Turn on the light. Speak God's word in your life. Speak God's truth. Listen to some worship music in that moment. Rewatch a Sunday sermon podcast in that moment, in that pain. Don't run towards the darkness. And then finally, choose hope. Every day, choose hope. Write it on a sticky note, stick it on your mirror. Today, I'm going to choose hope. Situation stinks. Man, I just broke up with someone. I've been with them forever. We just broke up. I don't know how I'm going to make it. And in the place where they used to sleep, put a little sticky note, choose hope. Above your doorpost, choose hope hope. There's hope in Jesus. Deny the lie. Choose hope. Christmas is all about God answering a cry for help. People walking in darkness have seen a great light. Those living in a land of deep darkness, to them, a light has dawned. Over the next few weeks, we're going to unpack the many, many ways that God went to great lengths to bring us help and hope. Jesus is the light. He's our salvation. He's wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. He is our help. And hope and help comes when we follow the light. Pray with me. God, thank you so much for the power of your word. Help us to trust in you, God, with all of our heart and to not lean on our own understanding. God, we thank you so much that you are good and that you are for us and that you are with us in this place. God, that there's no place we can run to where we can escape from your goodness. God, there's no place we can run to that you aren't there. Help us to stop running. Help us to stop running towards the dark. God, for the person here who's not said yes to you, I pray this would be that moment. They say, God, I'm tired of being sick and tired. Help me. God, I need your power. Save my life. Save my soul. Do what you do, God. Save. And I thank you that you're faithful and just, God, to do just that. God, for the one in here who, man, life is just beating them up this morning. Life is beating them up, period. I pray that they would find hope in you. There's no situation too big. There's nothing impossible when it comes to you. There is nothing too big for you. That is the truth, and that's what we're going to stand on today. Thank you for going to great lengths to reach us. God, you went to such great lengths 700 years before Jesus showed up. You promised that the darkness wouldn't last forever. I pray that that promise would be real today in the lives of everyone in this room. Darkness doesn't have to last forever. We have joy and hope in you. Thank you for pursuing us, for loving us, and God, for lighting up the darkness. In the strong name of Jesus, amen.